Sullivan testing the Portuguese. You know, I like to be fit and healthy, so the best way I know is to just get out there and run. Running was an outlet for me to, I guess, feel good about myself and, and take out some of the angers that were going on in my life. Sonny O'Sullivan is going to take the world title back to Ireland. It's the episode I've been waiting for all year. The sneakers, the runners, the tackies, the kicks, the shoes episode of an Irishman running abroad with me, Jarlath Regan, and the greatest Irish track and field athlete of all time, Sonia O'Sullivan. Today, we're going to take a look at the biggest questions you need to ask yourself when figuring out what shoes to invest in, whether we need a shoes rotation at all, and which shoes Sonia looks back on and thinks, oh, those were great. Why did I stop? Why did they stop making those? That's another question. I mean, why do they stop making these shoes that we all previously loved? We'll also be joined by the head track and field coach at Villanova University, the true chairman of the boards, the legend Marcus O'Sullivan. You uh, might have missed it, but he was on the show on Sunday as my guest for our big feature interview. And what a chat that was. If you're already a member, you can go back and hear the whole story of Marcus and how he went from a completely unheralded schools runner to an elite athlete running more than 100 sub four minute miles. I mean, that still makes my head spin. Winner of multiple indoor goals and inspiring my co-host Sonia to think an Irish person can kill it on the international stage. We will, of course, have Sonia's tip of the week and lots more besides. Sonia, I read that article in the Irish Times that you wrote about the special moment of getting to see Marcus smash it in front of a huge crowd and how that that really made the hair stand on the back of your neck. Was it really a moment where you kind of the earth kind of shifts on its axis a little bit and you can suddenly see yourself doing it? Yeah, I mean, it was I suppose that was the real life moment. I'd seen Marcus on television in the in around 87, definitely when he won the world championships. But when I was at Villanova and, you know, I got to go to the Milrose Games with my teammates and, you know, to be on the edge of the track and to be able, you know, when you're in amongst your peers like that. And I actually know Marcus, you know, I've been in his house. I've had dinner at his house. Mm. I look after his kids. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you know, when you're that close to someone, it seems a bit surreal that they're out there, you know, and they're kind of they're the person that everybody is focused on that mm-hmm. night, you know, the, the superhero. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, Marcus, he'd probably tell you, he's like the least likely superhero out he's there. So humble, know, yeah. He's so just He's just so normal and easygoing. But, you know, to so many of the athletes at Villanova at the time, you know, it was the men and the women, we were up there, we were running four by 800 metre relays. And, you know, they were just so in awe of Marcus, you know, and, you know, when you're at the Milrose Games, as it was back then, it was like a stage show. It was unbelievable. Like the the fellows who would be on the edge of the track, keeping the crowd, because you could, you could be standing right up against that track. You could put your hands on the track. Amazing. And there was these guys in tuxedos and they were the stewards. (laughs) (laughs) Tuxedo wearing stewards. Oh my God. I've never seen that before. You know, Broadway track and field. You yeah, know, it was it was unbelievable. It was really was a show and an, and a night out that people went to and wow. people got dressed up for and everything. And it was just all glitz and glamour at a track meet. And we probably didn't appreciate that at the time mm. because we were just running around in our tracksuits, you know, and just happy and excited <laughs> to be there. And it's only when you look back afterwards and you see all these little things that were going on around the place 
that you realize, you know, how what a kind of a show it was and how big track was in, in New York City, you know, Madison Square Garden. It's like yeah. the center of New oh, York. Oh, exactly. Like, <laughs> pri- like Prince is on there the next night. I mean, that, yeah. like I remember hearing Chris Rock talk about this, that like when you're putting on a stand up show in a, in a venue like that, you're conscious of who's on next. Like Bruce Springsteen's on tomorrow night. My show has got to match this. It is crazy to think that at that time, athletics was just as viable a ticket for Madison Square Garden as, you know, uh, Julio Iglesias <laughs> or uh, Gloria Estefan. I'm really digging deep into my 90s uh, kitsch uh, pop artist there. But that's kind of what this episode is going to be about. At times we're going to go back and ask Sonia about the, the shoes that she used to wear and looks back at and goes, what the hell were we all doing wearing those? The trousers, the tracksuit pants tucked into the socks, which has made a comeback of late. We'll talk about it all. It's all still to come in this episode. But the other big thing that happened on Sunday, of course, was the London Belfast Galway. Chester marathons. I mean, there's marathons all over the world this weekend. Sonia, you were there on the line in London to see the field come home on Sunday. How was that? It, it was fantastic. You know, I, I was out here in Teddington um, in South, I don't know, is it Southwest? Southwest mm. London, I think, near Bushy Park. And so I managed to squeeze in and run before I went out because it was mainly just to wake up, you know, and to make sure I got a shower before I went in. <laughs> um, so I, I snuck out to the park early enough and it was so funny. I was running around the park and there's people in there running around with their numbers on for the Virgin or what's it called? The Vitality London Marathon. Really? Like doing uh, pre-runs? Yeah. No, there was a virtual London Marathon as well. Oh, I see. So they did theirs <laughs> away from the masses. That's amazing. I didn't know you yeah. could even do that. So you could you could do So there was a there was the London Marathon and I think they had something like 35,000 runners who would finish or line up anyway. And then and then they were expecting another 35,000 to be running it virtually wow. all around the world. Wow. So I had heard well, I was at the park run on Saturday morning. And there was a few marathon runners doing their pre-race jog out. I, I don't know how they do that in a park run because in Bushy Park, the park run has over a thousand people. It's absolutely mental in there. <laughs> and I just wanted to go and run nice and easy. But, you know, once the thing goes off, you just leg it because you you want to create space. Yes. <laughs> so you need to find and then you, you end up making it much harder for yourself than <laughs> than you intend. But there was a few marathon runners there and then they were actually very what's the word that you call it disciplined they because I checked up their results afterwards to see and I'm not very good at this at being disciplined when you tell yourself you're going to go 430 pace and you head out and the first kilometer is 406 you know then you're in you're in deep water already (laughs) (laughs) and then you're threading water there's no going back yeah there's no going back at all and yeah, it was great. I actually, a friend of mine, David Conaghy, he's a photographer from Ireland and I've kind of met him over the years doing different photos. And he ran over to me at the park run Saturday and told me he was running the marathon the next day. And it's always exciting when you know people who are running the marathon because you can then put them into your little tracker. So I had my app and a tracker of all anybody who told me they were running. I had them in there to track them. Very nice. So then when I eventually did get to the finish line yesterday, um, like you get in there, I I didn't leave here until 9.30 and on the train. So the marathon was already half an hour started at that stage. 
and you know you could watch it on your phone as you were going in on the train um but it was actually more informative to watch it on the tracker because the tv coverage you know they're only showing you the front of the field absolutely which is interesting and enough the, and the occasional but, cupcake person running as a pint of guinness <laughs> <laughs> which isn't much use to you yeah so if you're actually interested in following people then you're better off just going to the tracker and it was it was really good yesterday you could click on this thing and it would tell you how much percentage of the race the runner you were following had covered yeah, so, I mean, this did know, occur could... to me when I was watching it, sitting on the couch here, uh, like I was like, this this coverage is terrible in terms of actually monitoring. I had no idea that there was such a tracker or whether that that's a normal thing. Is that a normal thing? Will they have that for places like Dublin? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's become, I suppose, the standard thing now that it's it's universal. Everybody has them, but it wasn't always there. So that's why so many people go out on the streets to cheer on their friends and family, because you can work out, you know, at approximately what time they're going to arrive at different parts of the course. Amazing. And, you know, so people did this before there was phones and trackers and all <laughs> sorts of stuff. And it's just be more difficult. Hot. Yeah, they would just have it written down on a piece of paper and an estimate of what time you might approach the Cutty Sark or something like that or London Bridge. Mm. And people would be jumping on and off the trains and trying to get to different spots. But in recent years, that it's become so popular and busy with so many people out there cheering that um, it's very difficult to do that because there's such a backlog of people running up and down to get to the tube and in and out. Mm. And it's really difficult. So you have to really pick your spots. But the finish line is pretty good if you have the tracker and then they have the big screen down there as well. And you can um, see what's going on. But when you get there first, so I was there at about 1030 and um, it's very quiet because there's not very many people around because a lot of people come later in the day because their people are not going to be finished in three and four and five hours. Yeah, they're not interested so the really in seeing the elites. Yeah. Crowds of people. They can watch that on the television. You know, you can see the first few people coming in on the TV and then you can come out and, you know, catch your friends at the finish line. Um, but once the road starts filling up and lots of people start running down the mall and Buckingham Palace is in the background. It's like it's an amazing finish line, you know, for the photographs and everything. Oh, look, um, the emotion as well. So you're like, I couldn't get over the emotion. You text me to say if you were down here now, you'd be signed up right away for next year. And uh, like even just watching it on the TV, just all these different stories, all these people who have survived COVID in a lot of cases. Those were the stories that I was reading about online and even our own members in the Irishman Running Abroad Strava group, some of the reasons for running the charities that people were supporting. It is this confluence of epic tales. Every single person running the marathon, for the first time it kind of dawned on me, each has their own unbelievable story. Even explaining it to Mikey here, exactly how far it is. He was just shaking his head going. And we thought your 5k <laughs> in the park was a big deal the other week. I mean, it is it is a dream to sign up. And I hope that that will be the target for next year. There wasn't a small part of you that thought, oh, maybe I'll, maybe I'll, maybe me, Sonia Sullivan, will sign up for another <laughs> marathon. Did it cross your mind? I, I think it does for everybody when they're at the finish line. You know, you're standing in the stands and watching people come in and 
you know, I was trying to spot a few people as they were. It's really hard to do it. But, you know, and you get the tracker to make sure that you haven't missed them. So then you can keep watching. Mm. And, yeah, you see all these people coming in all shapes and sizes. And some of them, like, they're running pretty fast. But at the stage they've got to the finish line, they can hardly walk, you know, because they've really, <laughs> you know, given it everything. And you think, oh, my God, how did you get this far? And now you're like, look like you're running backwards. Um. And, you know, you see this and you do think, I'd love to do that again. And uh, I was thinking about it this morning. I was out running in the park and there was a few people running around out there. And I was wondering if all, many of those people out there were already training for the London Marathon next year and having it in their head about doing it. But I know I know the commitment. I know what it takes. And, you know, you really do have to you have to train for it because I also have. So there was a few people I was following, uh, a fellow from Cove, Tony O'Sullivan, I actually couldn't find his name on the tracker, but it turns out he's called Gerard Anthony O'Sullivan. He must have has his, he must have put in his passport name. <laughs> he's a great runner. I see him out running around the co- roads of Cove all the time. So I only found him this morning and he went out at one thirty four for the first half. Wow. And then he finished. So that's like 3.08 pace. And there was a few yeah. people I knew who were running around that time. So it's kind of interesting to track them and see how they were all going. And then, like Tony, he ended up running 3.55. So he slowed like 50 minutes in the second half. Mm. And like, that's painful to do that. Yeah, so I, you, I, you know then that like things, something you know, sometimes, you, sometimes you train perfectly for something, but the marathon is just so unpredictable that you just, you know, you, you don't know what's going to happen. And then, you know, the kind of survival thing kicks in and the determination. And I think the London Marathon is particularly one of these marathons that you have to finish it. Like there's there's no way out. I think, you know, if things what aren't going right for you, but the only way to get to the finish is to run. Oh, or to walk. yeah, 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 yeah. Because there was a couple there's of no pull-ups, exit. even in the elite group, there was a couple of pull-outs and that was one of the commentary notes was that like, there, there need there are pickup vans for these people, but not for the regular Joe, <laughs> the regular. No, runner. definitely not. No, well, in the in the main, like the in the late section, like there were some pacemakers specifically in there, and they would be told where to stop, mm. and that there's a van within, you know, around this spot, so we'll find you. Yeah. So there'd be spotters, but there's nobody spotting, you know, me and you if we go out there running, <laughs> and. Uh, you know, you decide I can't go anymore. And what would so, make you not do it? Like this is before we leave the subject, before we, we say congratulations to everybody like that you had the thought um, and I'm not just having the thought. I'm just going I have to do this. What would make you not do it? Me personally? Yes. Well, I, I was thinking about this in the park this morning, like what I was thinking of what would make me do it, <laughs> what would get okay. me to do it. <laughs> There's loads of reasons not to do it, <laughs> right. to find the one to make me do it. But I think the main thing for me would be that I'd want to be happy and comfortable running that distance and knowing that I could put in all the long runs and I wouldn't want to be carrying any injuries going out there. Mm. So I'd need to have my body in pretty good shape or as good a shape as it could be. And right now, I'm not 100% sure that I'm there with that. I'm hoping if I get back to Jared Hartman again in a couple of weeks before I go back to America, that he, I mean, I'm 
feeling pretty good from the treatment I had from him and he's given me a whole load of exercises. And oftentimes when you find a bit of a solution to a kind of a nagging injury, it can feel a bit worse before it feels better. And so that's what I'm hoping at the moment. So I'm starting to feel... Uh, I do want to hear more about what exactly Gerard Hartman told you. Uh, Gerard Hartman is a name that's come up on this show again and again and uh, even comes up in the in the Marcus O'Sullivan episode. So as in term in terms of next week on the show, we will be going for a full gait analysis. Myself and Sonia will go to Profeet in London and have a 3D foot analysis done of how each of us runs and what exactly we need in terms of shoes, uh, given that today's episode is about shoes and all about sneakers, we thought, well, before either of us goes and invests in anything new, this is obviously your first tip, Sonia, before we delve into shoe rotation and all the rest of it, that is, we need to be really clear on how our feet are functioning, what our run looks like. Would you, would you say that would be your tip of the week this week? Yeah, I think, you know, you really, your feet is where, you know, that's where it all starts. That's their, they're touching the ground and, you know, how they land on the ground is how every other part of your body reacts when you run. Mm. And so the chain reaction of, you know, your foot plant, as it can be called, you know, to your ankle, to your knee, to your hips, right up, you know, that's how you need to get that right to be as, streamlined or as running in a straight line as possible and to be running without too many you know moving from side to side and jostling around the place you need to be as smooth as you can be from from the feet up and I can definitely feel it now because I've had some adjustments in my foot I can really feel how my good foot is just perfect and I could run all day with that right but I think that's been carrying me a lot and now because I'm trying to get the other foot to do a bit of work it gets tired quicker. So I'm just more aware of it at the moment. And I'm hoping that that awareness will disappear and they might become a bit more equal. And then I might get back to enjoying running it a little bit more rather than always kind of managing something. One of the first things we talked about on the show was balance and uh, how you had developed an imbalance from all of the laps of the track. Is that still what this relates to? Probably, yes. I mean, it's my whole left side is what gets sore. Or if there's any issues, it's always the left side. And, you know, you run around the track anti-clockwise. So your left foot is always on the inside. So that's the one that's always taken the, mm, the taken pressure. Taken the pressure. Yeah. So, so if you're at a track it, in London this week and you see someone tearing around the track the wrong direction, chances are it's Sonia Sullivan trying to rebalance her feet. Is is that possibly what could be prescribed here is that if you're running around a track, go the other way? Well, you know, it's interesting. I don't know if we've talked about this before, but um, it was something that I discovered when I went to America first this year in April, that some of the like the runners that I was working with in some parts of their session, they actually run the other in way. lane one, the opposite way around. I did and this. was this, a yeah. whole new revelation to me to see <laughs> this. And I was like, that's just so weird. And it would, and I'm sure anybody who, you know, has run around the track anti-clockwise to run it clockwise is definitely an odd sensation. And I have done it, but in outer lanes and in mm. the outer lanes, it feels okay. 
but it, I still think in lane one, <laughs> it's a weird thing. But it's probably because I've just done so many in the right way mm. that I haven't quite got my head around it. And so it's, uh, it's a weird thing. People uh, used to say this about um, the water going down the drain. They always said in Australia, the water goes down the drain the opposite way that it does. Yes. In, Will we ever forget in, that in the Northern episode? Hemisphere. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still not sure if it does or not. <laughs> oh, no, it definitely does. Bart Simpson checked it out. And it does. <laughs> <laughs> at great expense to the family on a reverse charges phone call. I mean, if you haven't seen that episode, Sonia, you've got to go back and see it. But I know what you mean about running the wrong way is like patting your head and rubbing your tummy. But it, I have I have to put this in the notes this week. Uh, a YouTube channel that I watch a lot now, which is Elite Runners and the sessions they do. And... You know, it's essentially a guy who goes, shows up at places like, you know, Nike HQ and watches someone like, uh, is it, it's not Kurt Engels, Craig Engels doing his sessions. And I noticed on this channel exactly what you're saying, going the other way. I also noticed, you know, the changes of shoes taking place, the shoe rotation. If we can start there in terms of our discussion of shoes. It seems obvious that wearing the one pair of shoes all the time is going to be bad for you, regardless of whether your left side's weaker, your right side's stronger or whatever types of run you're doing. Can you explain to us just once and for all, is it possible to find one pair of shoes? If you're doing this on a budget and you're going, I don't have I don't have the money to go and get multiple pairs. Is there a general shoe available right now that will do it all. What, like two in one shampoo and conditioner? (laughs) All in one. (laughs) Yeah. My favourite is shampoo, conditioner and body wash. (laughs) (laughs) Three in one. (laughs) Three in one. Like, you know, there must be, you must be a versatile shoe like that. Or is that a decision that shoe companies are making to make shoes very, very different and for different purposes so that you have to try and buy three different types of tools for one job? Well, I, I think every shoe company will have a kind of a, a general all-rounder shoe, mm. but it depends on what type of runner you are and what kind of support that you need, which one. So you'll have your general daily running shoe, but then you need to have these other shoes. <laughs> you need to have them. Like <laughs> you need to, You need to add them to your collection. So it's not like, okay, I'm signing up for the London Marathon. And I'm going to go to the shop and I'm going to buy 10 pairs of shoes today. It's not like that. Okay. It's like anything. It's like anything. You buy one general all purpose shoe that you can wear, you know, for most for your long run. The most important thing you need one pair of shoes that you're comfortable wearing. And it's mainly your most comfortable pair of shoes. I often call them tractors because when you spit into them, it's like you're going into a four wheel drive and they're just really comfortable. And, you know, you're, they're not they're not built for speed but they're built to last and to, you know, get you out there to enjoy your run. And so that's where I suppose you have to do the shopping around and you have to talk to some people who know how to, you know, put the right shoe on the specific foot that you have and what works for you. Mm. And there's lots of different places that can advise you on that. And, you know, so something that I like might necessarily be something somebody else will like. Mm. So, that, so that's 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 shoe one, the tractor. 
right? We'll call it the tractor. That's the main, and we'll, that's the main truth. We'll pop it that's in the, the notes. That's the main truth you need. Yeah, and I'll pop it in the notes uh, for the episode, uh, which are exclusively available to members. Uh, detailed breakdown of the episode with extra, extra material, extra tips. But we'll put in a detailed breakdown of the top tractors in the country at the moment from the different brands. Now, the Invincibles that I feel like everyone who listens to this bought uh, after you recommend them, myself included, are tractors. I mean, they're big units. They're they're wide and bouncy and spongy. Uh, they would be the opposite of what I understand to be responsive shoes. So if tractor is number one, the one that is like a boat, and that needs a big wide turning circle wouldn't be great going around bends, but we'll go all day in a straight line at a great fuel economy. Shoe number two, is that a shoe that you can do strides and fartlek and kind of speed sessions in? Yes, you'd have maybe a lighter shoe. So it might it might not be a racing shoe, but it would be like a tempo type shoe. So if you were going for a short, fast run, then you could put this on and you could run to the park, do your fast run and run back and you'd be happy with it. So it's not, it's maybe up to an hour. It's not really your long, Sunday long run shoe, even though you could use it if you were stuck. And sometimes when you travel, you tend to bring the light shoe because that can be a bit more of a multi-purpose shoe. Okay. And you can get away with a long run in it, um, but you can also use it for, you know, a faster like if you were doing a park run or you were doing a, a bit of a session yourself. Now, there's one thing I'm slightly worried about at the moment, and I notice it this week, and is that a lot of these shoes that are around at the moment is they're quite smooth on the bottom. The traction isn't great on them, and they're a bit slippy. Hmm. And the parks are turning to a bit kind of soft surface. So I found yesterday... I mean, it rained a lot on Saturday night and it rained a lot last night. So it's probably been a quick change of the terrain. So all of a sudden I find I'm actually looking for routes that are not transversing the slippier parts of the park because I know I'm going to... Yeah, you're going to <laughs> you come across. Oh, 100%. You get that feeling when your feet just go like flying. Oh, and yeah. Uh, and I often look at the soles of the, the, these shoes and I'd love to find out which one you're using at, mo- at the moment. But I do think to myself, why why are these things look like, you know, slicks that they would wear and put on Formula One cars? There's nowhere for the water or to drain off or even just to get you to grip the road a little bit better. I often think that it's because the shoes are developed in California or in hotter climates. <laughs> and you're like, do they do they not know what it's like to run in Mayo <laughs> or uh, or Cove on a wet October evening? You need a, a decent amount of tire under there. I think you you need some real proper four wheel drive tractors. <laughs> yeah. What do you use? What, what so what is this number two shoe for you at the moment? I suppose the problem I have is when I move to different places, I have different shoes in different places, and because I don't like traveling with shoes, I like to leave them, and then turn up and hope I've left something that I'm happy with. So in Teddington at the moment, with the changing soft surfaces I actually don't have any kind of trail type shoes and mm. that's I'm struggling so I'm struggling in the park because I don't have that and my favorite 
of those would be the Pegasus Trail. And so they're built on the same last as the Pegasus, but they're a bit more rugged and they've got a great sole underneath. So they're they're not quite a trail shoe, but they've got a really good sole for getting a good grip when you're running in the parks. So I would 100% recommend them because I've used them over and over down through the years and I've often held on to them. And, you know, sometimes I've got rid of them and wished I hadn't because they are definitely the best. And what happens is then Nike and probably all these other shoe companies, they change these shoes over the years. And the newer styles, they're never quite the same as the original one that was really good. (laughs) And I always find that heartbreaking. And I'm sure loads of listeners will feel the exact same way that it's like, why did you mess with this? It's like Liverpool releasing a new jersey each year. It's like... I liked the old jersey. What is, is, why are they redressing this thing that we were all perfectly happy with? There has to be shoes over the years that you've really felt that with. What's, what's the shoe that you think about <laughs> with, you know, rose tinted nostalgia glasses where you're like, oh, Jesus, that was a great shoe. Whatever happened to that shoe? Well, I mean, the Pegasus Trail is definitely one that, and the Pegasus is probably the one shoe that everybody gets annoyed at because every now and then they're really good and then they friggin' change them <laughs> and they just like they do these tweaks they make them look nice they're aesthetically nicer looking mm. and the colors are good and you kind of you know when you go to the shop you think oh i need to get the new one <laughs> and then you get the new one and you put it on and you're like oh no this isn't working this is not the same <laughs> i should have just got looked up and found the old pair and got them for half the price yeah, exactly. and I would have been better off because, you know, you, a couple of laps around the park and you can't even see what they look like anyway because they're covered in mud. Mm, well, I think a big thing at the moment is, you know, we're transitioning from summer to winter and mm. talking about what shoes you need is I think everybody needs to have a good winter pair of shoes that you don't mind going out and getting dirty and muddy and that they're going to keep you on your feet and you're not going to land on the ground. I think right now, that's the most important thing that people should be looking at. Well, when we come back after the break, I'm going to be asking Sonia for the inside line on what Nike has coming next. Obviously, it's been the most tumultuous five years in terms of the changing of the guard of running shoes and racing shoes specifically. But it feels like looking at the field at yesterday's London Marathon that the other companies have caught up. Do Nike have another silver bullet in the chamber? That's the question I'm going to be asking Sonia. And of course, Marcus O'Sullivan, who will be dialing into the live line. I'll have lots more questions and also a little bit of a life hack for anyone who's going. Yeah, I remember those Nike Triax from 1996. That was the happiest shoe I ever ran in in my life. I know exactly how you can get them. So come on over to patreon.com forward slash Irishmanabroad, sign up and get access to the rest of today's episode, a full archive of Irishmanabroad episodes, and you can support this crowdfunded podcast this week. We're also offering a 15% discount for annual membership again, so it's never been a better time to do it. Sonia, I'll see you on the other side. One of the keys to like maintaining your brain mass is pushing past that comfortable zone physically, you know, exercise wise.
Imagine you know, a world where everybody could go out the door and engage in the kind of exercise that's going to make them more relaxed, more healthy, burn off stress,